What convinces a 15-year-old that medicine is the career for him? What does Kevin Costner have in common with a medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine? What's it like to be the youngest jacketed patrol member on Ski Patrol? And how does playing Swoop compare to medical school interviews? Today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life, I interview Brett, a first-year medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Well, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. I got a great guest today, Brett, incoming med student. Yeah, very happy. How does it feel? Oh, it's amazing. I <laughs> cannot wait to get back into the swing of things. Awesome. All right, well, let's start at the beginning. When did you first you know, have this desire to be a doctor? Where did that come from? Um, you know, people have this conversation all the time, so I've spent a lot of time trying to pinpoint that exact moment where I had the interest. And ever since I was like 12, you know, I've said, oh, I want to be a doctor. But where it finally crystallized was I, uh, I had a back surgery for scoliosis. I had a spinal fusion, mm. uh, my T12 through L2 vertebrae. How old? Uh, I was 15 when I had the surgery. Okay. Um, and I actually, I was so curious about medicine at that time. Uh, that I brought my GoPro or other type action camera and had them bring it into the OR so I could actually see parts of my surgery. Wow. Yeah, so there's this clip that I have where you're actually looking down and you see me with the rib spreaders in, you're looking in, and you see wow. him holding. They actually had to take out my T10 rib. Mm-hmm. And so you see him holding that. Did you get to keep that? No, that's okay. what they use for the bone graft. For, oh, okay. All right, I understand. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So... Wow, so yeah, 15. So was, yeah, and then uh, the really great thing, that was at Children's Hospital Los Angeles mm-hmm. with the incredible Dr. Skaggs, Dr. David Skaggs. Um, and since then, he's actually become a very close personal and family friend uh, and mentor. Um, and so the year after, when I was 16, I went back to Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and I was really lucky to be a part of their Camp CHLA, where I got to go into the OR with Dr. Skaggs, my surgeon, mm-hmm. and stand shoulder to shoulder with him and watch him perform the exact same surgery I had had the year before. Wow. Yeah. That must have been amazing. Um, it was incredible. Yeah. And we got to, after that, you know, we wandered around the OR, and we'd pop into different surgeries, and they were super open about just letting us watch. How so. long were you out for? Or uh, It was a... About a three-month recovery till okay. I was normal. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, his standard is actually, he said he had people doing high-impact sports within three to four months with a good PT routine. For Sounds me, risky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I took it easy for three months, and at six months, I was able to get back on ski patrol and back mm-hmm. up on the mountains. So. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So this is Los Angeles. So are you from California? Or? Originally, yeah. Okay. I, I've been here since I was 11 years old. Okay, yeah. What brought you to Utah? <laughs> My parents came here on vacation twice, and they said, this place is really beautiful, <laughs> so we moved here. <laughs> we have a lot of Californians who move here. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I tell people that being a kid in LA is amazing because you know I, my, my dad was a studio executive at one of the motion picture studios out there so I the season passed to Disneyland and Universal Studios but do you have a celebrity I, story uh, my godfather is Kevin Costner ooh <laughs> so cool guy uh, I've only, I haven't met him since I was much younger. Last time I saw so him, so an was absent 13. Godfather. Yes, he, <laughs> he, he talks with my dad a lot. <laughs> okay, He's out here right. filming um, Yellowstone, his new TV series. Okay, all right. And so I've been down here busy, but while he was mm-hmm. up there, he had dinner and lunch with my parents. So filled of dreams, oh, Untouchables. Yeah. These are oh, yeah. all classics. Yeah, in, the, for in me, your it's household, Dancing with Wolves. Dancing yeah, with we've Wolves. Got the poster downstairs. Oh, sweet. And, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right, so. You had this uh, amazing surgery. You recovered, did well. You shadow Doctor Skag. That sounds like that was really the genesis of your Absolutely. desire to be a doctor. And that happened. At, that happened concurrently with 
um, me starting on Ski Patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think I had a really unique opportunity with that as well because... Yeah, what's Ski Patrol? Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. so I, I was 15 and mm-hmm. I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, actually the year before I'd broken my knee. And that was the first time I met the Ski Patrol, got to know some of the people. And at the time they still had their junior program. Mm-hmm. So at 15 I was able to start my training, get my outdoor emergency care certification, wow. and actually get hands-on with patients from that young age. And then after that training... I had the surgery, and then when I went back to Ski Patrol, I was a full-fledged jacketed patroller. I was actually the youngest jacketed patroller on the mountain mm-hmm. uh, that they've had. When you say jacketed, what does that mean? That means, so during your training years, you go through and you kind of shadow patrollers. You do training mm-hmm. regimens and learn how to handle toboggans and do assessments and all that. But once you're actually free to fly on your own, you're given your red jacket with the white cross on it. And so oh. you're considered a jacketed patroller. And, and is there a lot of good stuff in there? Yeah, well, okay. for me, I had a fanny pack. So oh, okay. I <laughs> Still, That's where the good stuff uh, yeah, is. Yeah, I've still got my med pack actually in my Jeep with me. I carry That's it sweet. all the time. So, yeah. And where does the St. Bernard fit into this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the best parts of Ski Patrol. Okay. Park City has one of the best avalanche dog teams in the world. Sweet. They actually get shipped out to Sweden or Switzerland, mm-hmm. and uh, they train other avalanche dogs because they're so good. Okay. So I used to be the bait. So I would give them my jacket, mm-hmm. and it would smell like me, and then they'd bury me in a hole in the snow, and I'd wait 10, 15 minutes, and I'd start hearing the paws scratching above me. And so you wouldn't cheat just because you don't want to be left in the snow and put some beef jerky <laughs> no, on you no, so the dogs no. can really sniff you? But we did have a toy, and the, the goal is to let the dog drag the person out so that when they finally break through, they grab the toy, okay. you just hold on tight and let them pull you out of the hole. But they're not necessarily St. Bernard's, right? No, okay. no, no, no. Most okay. of them were labs. The St. Bernard lobby has been very powerful in pushing that narrative yeah. where there's this image of St. Bernard's. <laughs> Bernard with running a around the mountains, of whiskey, the yeah, whiskey, or I don't know, maybe their jacket was yeah, right yeah. there. Yeah, okay, beautiful. All right, so you're ski, so you must have a lot of stories, you know, just yeah, yeah. I actually, um, this part might have to be edited out. I was sure. just actually gonna ask you if it's a HIPAA violation. I um, wouldn't mention names, but you can be vague. So the patient used to be Cosmo for BYU. So if I don't mention his name, is that enough identifying information oh, to be... Brett, now I have to check with legal. I don't know. <laughs> Do you want me to tell the story and if it works, well, you can... <laughs> just tell the story. Okay. I just love hearing stories. Well, yeah, and and it's, it's, it's a fun one because it has a happier ending. Mm-hmm. Um, on Ski Patrol, you're not used to actually seeing the accident happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you usually just get a call, you get there, you figure out what's going on, try and get the narrative from bystanders mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, but on this occasion, uh, after I got my paramedic certification um, for my major at the U, uh, they knew that I was a trauma junkie, so they would put me at the stations where it was the most busy. So I'd be at the Three Kings uh, the wipeout, terrain park. Where, pe- yeah. where people just crash exactly. all the time. That, okay. Most of the time I was at the terrain park. Sometimes at like the main lift at payday. Is so. it usually professional skiers that are crashing, or is it like the newbies who don't know what they're doing? <sighs> Honestly, it's luck at the draw. Okay, it's just random. A lot of okay. times someone just catches an edge, and they're like, you know, I've been skiing for 60 years. I've never fallen, and mm. I just happened to catch this bad light or catch mm. an edge over here or something like that. But um, on this particular occasion, I was riding back up the ski lift to get back to the patrol shack, and I watched this kid go off of one of the big jumps in the train park directly underneath the lift and he does a backflip and perfect rotation except he overshoots the jump or the landing by about 35 feet so you think about how high they are and how they need that angle to be able to just gradually get back down on the ground Mm -hmm. he completely overshot that and just came straight down on the flat part wow um and so i called it in immediately and they ended up sending a rookie down there to to treat him so i get off the lift i'm 
the <laughs> sprinting on skis mm -hmm. to get there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I pull up and immediately it's just, you know, a code red situation where, you know, you have someone who's not breathing with trismus, uh, jaw lock shut, can't get an airway, mm -hmm. um, severe head, C-spine, and uh, thoracic spine. So is that case. toboggan time or is that calling the air, the helicopter? So we or? called an air ambulance immediately. Okay. okay. Uh, air Med from the U, they are fantastic. My mm -hmm. favorite guys. I always tell people that, uh, you have EMTs who are like the basic life support. So mm -hmm. um, if they have an EMT ambulance, when things go bad, they call the paramedics, the advanced life support. And then when things go bad for the paramedics, then they call the superheroes, and that's the life flight team. Mm -hmm. um, I respect those guys so much. But uh, we get them started heading our way, and we start just trying to get an airway, trying to get them on a backboard package. Ten minutes out? How long does it take them to get out there? Typically, yeah, yeah about yeah, that. They yeah. have a station... Um, if you know where Kimball Junction is, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. Quinn's Junction, it's sure. somewhere right in between those two. Um, so yeah, to get the engine going and get him up in the air is about 10 minutes. Uh, and that's about the time it took us to get him packaged, get him down to the bottom. Um, all sorts of signs that I'd never seen in a patient before, even though I'd seen other massive trauma patients, he just had a lot of typical signs of certain things like battle signs and all these kinds of things I'd never seen. It was it was an interesting call, um, but the the happy ending to the story is that we managed to stabilize him, we managed to get an airway, we managed to get him to, to life flight, who got him to the hospital and saved his life. <clears throat> and uh, what I found out the next week, because I was on patrol every Saturday, so I came back the next week and uh, turns out that the kid who had been injured was actually Cosmo, the mm -hmm. mascot at BYU. And uh, turns out that about a year or two before this accident, I had been hanging out with him in the locker room at BYU uh, the last time Utah was, was there playing. Okay, because we haven't told people, like, a cool fact about yes. this. Yeah. All right, so, <laughs> I so, forgot. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. So, um, what, so what, what is an interesting activity you did leading up to applying to medical school? Well, uh -huh. I was a University of Utah cheerleader when I first started at the U. Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of my entree into that was playing Swoop, the mascot for the U. Okay. Um, and so the summer while well, I was still finishing up high school and then before I started my freshman year, I went to charity events in costume. I mm -hmm. went to all sorts of, you know, 5Ks and, and uh, whatnot. I, I even visited the athletic director's granddaughter at her elementary school for her birthday. You do gigs. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So it was a really, really awesome time. I mean, I remember... How long did you do that for? About a year. So okay. my entire freshman year, and then uh, I ended up with rotator cuff injuries and... Was that from a mascot battle? Or? That was actually from baseball back in high school. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> that combined with cheerleading, lifting the girls above your head okay. was a little too much training for the shoulder. Mm -hmm. Um but it was one of the most incredible experiences. I mean, I got my motorcycle license solely so I could ride that beautiful Harley Road King 600 oh, yeah, yeah. onto the field at the beginning of football games. Mm -hmm. Oh, so much. So, like, what's that like to put on the costume? I mean, well, what do you call it? The outfit? I mean, what's the proper yeah, term? I don't want to be derogatory. I think be a costume. Okay. I, um, I, in high school, I was. Uh, an actor, so I was in the stage productions. Uh, me and one of my best friends were the leads, our junior and senior year co-leads. It was really fun. So I was used to kind of getting into another character. Mm -hmm. uh, in my senior year of high school, um, I ended up talking with the school and realized that they had a mascot costume, but no one was playing the mascot. So I ended up just doing it for fun. And Where is this? Uh, at Park City High School. Okay. Yeah, Park City High School. What's so I was Manny the Minor. Oh, okay, I was about to say, yeah. I'm not familiar with theirs, so Manny the Minor. Manny okay. the Minor. Okay. Um, and so 
uh, I ended up traveling with the cheerleaders to games. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, they started inviting me to cheer practices where I'd be a part of the dance routines and whatnot. And then Mm -hmm. they said, okay, you're stronger than we are, so get into this stunt and, like, start learning this type of cheerleading. Uh, And so eventually I ended up being the first male cheerleader at Park City, and I recruited a friend of mine, Eric Alcox, to be the other one with me there. And both of us auditioned at the U and made the cheer team here together. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was my experience at Park City High School as the mascot that kind of got me the gig as Mm -hmm. So did you did you was it enjoyable? Did you love it? Oh, was amazing. it exhausting? Or <laughs> I I would take the costume off and be five pounds lighter and just looking like I stepped out of a pool because mm-hmm. it was so hot inside. Uh, the head weighs like fourteen pounds, mm-hmm. um, but completely worth it because one of my favorite memories was uh, being at Raging Waters mm-hmm. and it was me and Cosmo again and. Uh, uh, we ended up having a dance battle in front of all these kids, and uh, we were at Raging Waters. It was a um, Make-A-Wish Foundation event, mm-hmm. and so entertaining them, getting to have these dance offs wow. getting to take pictures with them and make them smile and laugh, and mm-hmm. all that. It was, it's just really fulfilling, and mm-hmm. so it's nice to be able to have fun and also make people have a good time as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I assume like little kids come up and take pictures yeah. with you. Yeah, there were some Opposing fans might... Give you problems? I mean, yeah, I you, people, must, you must have some stories. I had people pull the tail. I mean, okay. I had people grope me in weird places. <laughs> it was... Yeah, that stuff happened. Wow. I, I actually... Did you have, like, a minder? Like, someone, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, you can't I, see what's going on at all times. Yeah. Decent visibility, not yeah, great. Yeah. Um, what was nice was whenever it was crunch time, like at football games, you had to be at point A exactly two minutes and 13 seconds after you were at the place before that. And so mm-hmm. for these media spots and all that. So you'd have a handler who had a whole schedule in front of them and would drag you from A to B mm-hmm. and make sure you were there. But when you're doing events and you're just wandering around taking pictures and you know making fun of people, messing mm-hmm. around with them, um, that's when you kind of just roam on your own and pretend to be swoop for a while. Yeah. You must be the most highly photographed medical student in the history because you probably have like thousands if not millions (laughs) of people have pictures of you as swoop. I actually have a giant cardboard cutout of me as swoop uh, for a Coke commercial that they did. And so there was a time where I'd I'd walk around any Smiths in the Salt Lake Valley and I'd see, oh, that's me standing Mm -hmm. on top of those Coke boxes right there. And it's just a really surreal experience. Is there any type of like, like, I guess it's cheerleading camp. Would, like, would, there, would, be, would you have like a national convention where everyone who kind of does, you know, um, tricks of the trade, tools of the trade kind of thing? Kind of. We practiced at um, two gyms down in South Salt Lake. We'd split time between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a relationship with the owners there, so we didn't have to pay. We could just go and practice. And by doing that, we'd meet cheerleaders from other states and, and whatnot and learn some of their techniques mm-hmm. and practice with them. Commiserate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, there was a select few group of cheerleaders who would go and either compete or just go to, like, the Pac-12 conferences up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, ne- I never went on that trip, but uh, from what I understand, it's a really, really fun time getting to meet some fun people. Awesome, awesome. All right, so you're ski patrolling, you're swooping. Uh, yes. What else What else did, did you do that uh, prepared you for medical school? What was going on in your life? Um... Well, my high school also offered an EMT class, and that mm-hmm. was another one of those where you get to learn hands-on skills. And It's more just that emergency medicine that pushed me to, to where I am now. Um, I was also lucky enough to have... Uh, my parents had several friends who were in the medical field, so 
Okay. Anesthesiologist, mostly Utah doctors. So, uh, like Dr. Joe Morelli and uh, Barbara Warosco, who's at Moran, and you know a bunch of these people who I was able to uh, get close to. And you know, Nasir Marouche, the cardiologist over here, he does some incredible research. His mm-hmm. his new microscope that he's getting patent for is unbelievable. It's going to completely change <laughs> the field of research. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just having people like that who are inspirational medical figures uh, to say like, okay, so you can be a doctor or you can be a doctor who's changing the field of medicine, who's actually pushing upwards uh, against the boundaries. So. You know, but I'm not going to hold you to it, but today, if I had to ask you what kind of field you're going into, I get the sense, would it be emergency <laughs> medicine or surgery, or what, what would you say? I think definitely surgery. I Emergency medicine is my passion, mm-hmm. and I'd love to stay involved with that as like a medical director um, or something like that as best I can. Um, but I just don't know how sustainable it is as a lifestyle for me personally with the family life and, and whatnot that I want to have. Mm-hmm. So I'm leaning a little bit more towards... I, I, surgery is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, 85% of the reason I went to paramedic school was because I'm obsessed with the heart. Mm-hmm. So getting the advanced cardiac life support there. So cardiothoracic surgery and then also spinal orthopedic surgery. Okay. Because my background. You have that I background. I could, I could make that work. I could... Do well in that field. All right. So you're applying to med school, and I have to ask you this question. Absolutely. So, you know, you have an actor background. Mm-hmm. You have been swoop, ridden a motorcycle <laughs> in front of, I don't know, 70,000, 80,000 yeah, people. whatever it is on a full house. Did that compare to the nerves, your anxiety leading up to your interview day? Or is it completely separate? Or did, were you cool and calm as ice? You know, the stressful part mm-hmm. was the gap between submitting my secondary and getting the interview invitation. Really? Okay. Once I found out I had the interview, I I love interviews. Okay. Getting to get face-to-face, getting to make a connection with someone, getting mm-hmm. to share experiences. That's a strength. That's, that's in your wheelhouse. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Right. So as far as the interview itself went, not too nervous. But okay. the thought process of, oh, my God, am I going to get an interview? Mm-hmm. You know, is this going to work out? Because... I mean, when it's your top school, you, yeah. <laughs> you could be pretty heartbroken yeah. when you when you get the bad news. <laughs> so I think that first little stressful bit. But once I had the interview, mm-hmm. I came out knowing that I did my best. I felt really comfortable with the questions. So at that point, it was out of my hands, and I just did my best to push it back and wait. <laughs> do you have any tips for people before the interview? I mean, what do you do to calm? I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Because, like, oh, before, before oh, yeah. someone goes on stage, before someone runs into a it's stadium breath, full of 80,000, like, what, what, what are some techniques? It's what are some tips? It's the deep breath. Okay. It's all about the deep breath. The deep breath. Yeah. Anytime I'm on scene in an emergency, whether that's opening the back of ambulance doors, whether that's getting on scene at ski patrol, whatever it is, if I ski up to a bad scene and there's lots of blood and carnage and it looks bad... Mm-hmm. Before you take your skis off, you just inhale, hold it for a second, blow it all out, Mm -hmm. focus yourself, kind of prevent that tunnel vision a little bit, and then step into it. Because you're like, you know, you've had enough training at that point that you know what you're doing. And it's the same thing when you're backstage. I used to get stage fright in the wings. Mm -hmm. Performance anxiety. Exactly. So I was off stage, and I'd be like, okay, it's game time, get ready to go. Heart's going, (laughs) heart's going. And the second the curtain opens, Mm -hmm. it's like, all right, cool, it's game time, let's do it. (laughs) Wow. And we are as best prepared as we can be, so do it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. Yeah, that's it's, amazing. I swear by the breath. Mm-hmm. I do it before anything. So before I go into the interview room, they'd ring the bell and I go, "All right, go." Yeah, it's go time. That extra two, three, four seconds. That's not gonna. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna change anything. That's awesome. So um, where were you when you learned you got in? 
you remember exactly what you're doing? I do. And, and I have to apologize to you. Okay, let's <laughs> hear it. Because uh, I was at, I can't remember, uh, the, the Mirror Lake Cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was getting brunch with my girlfriend there before we went up for a day of rock climbing in Uintas. Okay, that's what, okay, Mira, okay. Yeah, I know so that right is. there, right at the okay. base before sure. you turn on right, the highway. Okay. Um, amazing brunch. Mm-hmm. So we're there, our food gets set down right in front of us. Two seconds later, my phone rings. And I get a lot of calls from telemarketers mm-hmm. at really bad hours. <laughs> so, and I'm grumpy, it's early, mm-hmm. I haven't eaten yet. And so I answer the phone, I go, hello? <laughs> and he goes, this Brett? I, go, I do remember that. I go, yeah. <laughs> and you go, this is Dr. Chan with the University of Utah. I'm like, oh, Dr. Chan, yeah, I hello, remember. It was, how a, are it was you? like a complete pivot in your tone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to apologize uh, for that. It's all good. It's all good. It was... good. I should like write a, a book of stories. <laughs> like people an- answer the phone in interesting situations. Yeah, so. yeah. But yeah. I stepped outside. We had a conversation. And I, I still remember um, when you said, this is the point where the table turns. And we are now trying to get you to come to us rather than you trying to get us to accept you mm-hmm. uh, and that was just having that point of clarity to be like oh mm-hmm. wow I'm I'm gonna be a doctor yeah. and this was August 15th yeah or, no, fairly... sorry not October 15th yeah, yeah. it's very early on I remember. Yeah. yeah and so having that you know my number one school in my back pocket I'm like right cool yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be a good year so <laughs> did you hold it from your family or did you just surprise them or? Uh, I called my parents immediately oh, okay. and, because they were more stressed than I was about really the whole process okay. yeah. did you tell them to take deep breaths no. I did okay. I said dad I, I called my dad first I said dad I'm gonna be a doctor mm-hmm. it's, it's gonna happen now mm-hmm. it's no longer if it's like okay we just have to get through four more well you can tell to your dad that Dr. Chan would love to have a little signed picture of Kevin Costner yeah. in the office so let's I've got one hanging in my house so we might be able to do that. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. All right, so you're about to start soon. Yes. What, you know, are you feeling nervous? Are you feeling ready? Are you worried? I mean, what, what, what's the motion? What, what emotions do you have right now? The only thing that I'm trepidatious about is finding the rhythm again because mm. I, I am a very um, schedule-based person. Like, I like being able to have my routine to be able to study at this allotted time and go to this class on this day every week and um this past year i i've had a little bit looser of a schedule because i've been doing an americorps Mm -hmm. vista service mission at the midvale community clinic with dr samuelson Mm -hmm. um but then i've also been volunteering at the people's health clinic um, where my mom's the executive director up there and i've been volunteering with several other organizations i did a humanitarian service mission with the hope alliance uh, to guatemala so all of that has been exhilarating and relieving and relaxing and amazing um, but I am ready to, to get back to the grind. Hit so the books. You have I'm, time I'm to hit the books. I'm nervous about finding the routine, but yeah. once I get it, I'm confident and excited for that. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Let's talk about AmeriCorps Vista. Mm-hmm. What, what's that about, and how would you get into that? Yeah. yeah, so AmeriCorps Vista is a program through the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. I, was, I got a government salary, and during the government shutdown, I got a, a notice saying you Sorry. will not be paid your salary. Yeah. So I took a screenshot of that because it's kind of cool. I like mm-hmm. having it. Um, But the purpose of the organization is to increase the capacity of community-serving organizations. Um, So because of my mom's relationship with the People's Health Clinic, I also knew a couple of the other directors like uh, Jeannie Ashby at Malihe and Mm. Mauricio Agramont at Midvale. And Jeannie always has a ton of of vistas at at her clinic. And I wanted to really make sure that I was someplace that needed me and where I could make a true impact. And so that's why I ended up working at Dr. Samuelson's clinic with Mauricio Agramont at the People's Health Clinic. Or, sorry, at, at uh, the Midville Community Clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 
a really different type of organization than almost any other kind of medicine that you'll see mm. um, because they do a lot. Mm. They do a lot of good with very little. Um, I think something like 95% of the patient population is Spanish speaking. Mm. Um, even in the clinic, most of the people are Spanish as a first language, which is an incredible experience because I speak Spanish. I work as a translator at some of these clinics. Mm. Um, and being able to only speak Spanish when I go there to kind of engulf myself in that culture was a really interesting change of pace. Mm -hmm. It was a, a different perspective, and I really so enjoyed it. would you be translating, interpreting? Would you be doing medical assisting? I mean, or just everything? So the hands-on stuff like that, I do at the People's Health Clinic. Okay, volunteer. all right. What I did for Midvale uh, was at first volunteer recruitment and retention. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just organizing people, training them, getting them in the right spot, and making sure that they were there when they needed to be and repeatedly. Um, but then I, I, I saw a need because I was given the task of finding a new organizational system for their 5,500 paper patient files. Wow. So 5,500 patients with bundles of paper within them. Mm -hmm. Some uh, thick, some thin. Exactly, yeah, and yeah. completely out of order. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so me, being a little lazy, mm -hmm. I thought, okay, there's got to be a better way to do this than like red tab, green tab, blue tab mm -hmm. type of thing. Um, so I started talking to some of the other clinics, and I realized that both Malihe and the People's Health Clinic use uh, Athena Health, their EHR. And so even though that was a big mouthful for the next nine months, I have focused entirely on getting them an electronic health record system so that we can transfer over. And actually tomorrow, we're finally getting our internet upgraded. The second we plug in that cable, yeah. the system's all set up. I've done all the coding. We are ready to go. Awesome. So it's very exciting. I wish to say that it would probably go off without a snag, but my experience with yeah. IT, there's might be little things, but hopefully a little up. Yeah, we, we got quoted by Comcast that it would be two months until we were up and running, mm -hmm. and that was five months ago. Okay. So we're almost there. Almost there. That's Comcastic. <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, Brett, this has been fantastic. I guess last question. What would you say to someone who's thinking about applying or maybe in the middle of applying, what advice would you give them? How, how, well, what would you say to them? Yeah. There's, a, there's someone who I know who I'm very good friends with who's working up at the People's Health Clinic uh, and she's applying right now and this is her number one school like mm -hmm. what's mine. And so for her, I've been talking to her about her MCAT and about her secondaries and how to, how to submit all these things and looking at her essay and all that. And so seeing that process from the outside, once the stress is gone, mm -hmm. you can kind of more logically point at things and say mm -hmm. you can do this better and oh in this whole process I wish that I'd done this better so maybe you should do that um, and so I think that first and foremost um, it's good to talk with people about the stories that you're going to include whenever mm -hmm. you have to do essays so I'd get my secondaries back and I'd spend a week just talking with my parents talking with my friends mm. um, figuring out okay what is the most interesting thing that I can answer this with like how can I tell them I've had experience in this field and I'm qualified because I have experience in this field and here's how it can relate to that question. So I think finding those stories, finding your strengths and identifying those in those essays is the hardest part, but by far the most important part because that's mm. where you get to tell your story, tell the admissions committee who you are. So use, use your loved ones as kind of a sounding yeah, find board. Find a sounding board. Yeah. 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 Mm, perfect. Well, Brett, I'm excited for you. This is amazing. I can't wait to see... Because like, I think at this moment... 
you know, you have this image, idea of medical school. Yeah. But it's yeah. hard because you're not in medical I gotta school. I got to get feet first in yeah. there and then I'll be able I'm to I want you to come back <laughs> and, like, we're going to share stories. Because yeah. I want to hear how it goes and how you progress as you become closer to your dream of becoming a surgeon or an mm-hmm. ER doctor or cardiologist, yeah. whatever path you I'm choose. very happy to come back. So, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Brett. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.